Igor. Weekdays at 1 on Ave Maria Radio. 990 WDEO, Ypsilanti, Detroit, W300CO Dexter, and Ave Maria Radio Station, and on the net at AveMariaRadio.net. Saturday morning show on Catholic Radio where you can get some free and friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. This is a pre-recorded show today, but it's fresh and new for you. This is Colleen Kelly Mast, your hostess every week on Mast Appeal, here to offer you some free, friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. My background is in family life education. Actually, I started out with family life education being second oldest of nine children, and so I was always given extra responsibilities around the family, but having a family with nine children always creates a lot of uh, different lessons, I should say, in life on how to get along, So, to uh, and it balances people's personalities because you have to get along with so many different ones. So I've also been married for way over 40 years now. I have five adult children and seven grandchildren so far, and I'm a certified life coach. I'm helping people make changes, set goals, improve relationships, and solve problems, and, and do all that from a Catholic perspective. I'm also the author of Three sets of family life education books. One, Sex Respect, The Option of True Sexual Freedom. That's acceptable even in public schools and for people that don't believe, but it just explains how abstinence is the best thing for you. And outside of marriage, of course. And uh, Love and Life, A Christian Sexual Morality Guide for Teens, published by Ignatius Press. And Love Ed, the video discussion series for parents with all different age children and parent and child video seminars with books. You can learn more about my work and all my books at my website, respect, the number four, the letter U dot com, respect for you dot com. So go there, get some love ed books, maybe one of the greatest gifts that you can give one of your children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews or godchildren is spend time with them going through the love ed program. You can get free streaming rights to the videos if you buy the book. And the lessons in there help the kids grow in virtue and it helps you learn a lot too. So how did I get here? First time as a teacher um, with a master's degree in health education and I taught my students uh, the truth with joy and fun and people would ask me how did you get your students to turn out excited about chastity and the church's teachings against birth control and I said I taught them the truth with love and people said can you write this down and that's how I became an author then I ended up traveling the world in the 80s and 90s with sex respect and love and life I was invited to the Vatican in the 90s when they released the document the truth and meaning of human sexuality and they asked me to present my love and life program there and also Different other secular entities were interested in my sex respect program, like Oprah, Geraldo, 60 Minutes. Um, I've debated the ACLU and Planned Parenthood because they thought I was imposing my 
values on the public or my morality on the public, but I just explained to them how this was health education. So I've been here on Catholic Radio since 1999, first of all doing The Doctor is In with uh, Dr. Ray Garendi, and then several years ago got my own show here on Saturday morning. So that's what I'm here to do is to help you with free, friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. And since today is a pre-recorded show, I have a collection of emails from you to answer, so you still get some free, friendly advice and some other wonderful uh, bits of information and inspirations that we can that we can take with us to have a better Advent and to be well prepared for Christmas. And that's what this weekend's readings ask us to do. The voice cries out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. It's an exciting time, a new liturgical year. So the two readings match. You know, the the gospel usually matches the first reading, and the first reading is the book of the prophet Isaiah, and the gospel quotes the prophet Isaiah. So listen to this as we apply it to today's world, to today's life, to the situation you're in. A voice cries out in the, the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. And think of the culture that we live in now. How can we prepare the way of the Lord? How can we prepare well for Christmas? And how can we prepare other people to know the Lord this Christmas and not just come for the party? We've all got some relatives that are away from the church. No, I should say many of us do. And uh, what can we do to help them get ready? So Isaiah says, make straight in the wasteland a high way for our God. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The rugged land shall be made a plain, a rough country, a a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So how can we look with enthusiasm upon this high mountain and upon this desert and upon the plains that will be made open for God? Let the Holy Spirit show you how he wants us to prepare for his coming, just as St. John the Baptist prepared for them. And then in the Gospel this weekend, it's the beginning of the Gospel, according to Mark, and it's written, first he quotes the prophet Isaiah that we just read. And then it tells us about John the Baptist. He appeared in the desert proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We can still proclaim that this Advent. Most parishes will be having extra confessions this month or maybe a penance service with uh, many confessors there that you can have your private confession after the penance service. So when John the Baptist appeared in the desert proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which is this weekend's gospel, we need to get to confession ourselves. We need to bring other people with us. It says, people of the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan as they acknowledged their sins. So there's an important part of our repentance here is that acknowledging our sins. Some people overemphasize, yes, Jesus is merciful, Jesus is merciful, he will forgive me, I can do whatever I want. Well, that's kind of the sin of presumption, thinking that you can do whatever you want and God will forgive you. We have to actually be sorry that we did it. We have to do what we can do to, as our Father says, avoid the near occasion of sin. Because, as John the Baptist proclaimed, one mightier than I is coming after me. And I'm not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I've baptized you with water, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So those of us who have received that baptism 
have that command from Jesus to go out and spread this good news. So how do I get ready? And how do I prepare the way? Well, one would be by going to confession. That would be a good thing to do. Um, and prepare your own soul. One would be by inviting other people back to confession. And others might be, and, and people often do this during Advent, they make a plan or a calendar and do an act of love each day. Well, we're a little bit into Advent, so you're not too far behind, but you could start today and do some kind of random act of kindness, some act of love, and ask the Holy Spirit to show you where these possibilities are. But then I also have a, uh, a wonderful reading for you that goes with First Corinthians on how to prepare well for Christmas. Because I know you're thinking, yes, I'm preparing my soul, but a lot of you are preparing your house. So, this uh, interesting reading by Sharon James that I read on the, the show in the past is taken from Celebrating a Christ-Centered Christmas. It says, if I decorate my house perfectly with plaid bows, strands of twinkling lights, and shiny balls, but do not show love to my family... I am just another decorator. If I slave away in the kitchen, baking dozens of Christmas cookies, preparing gourmet meals, and arranging a beautifully ordained, or adorned table at mealtime, but do not show love to my family, I am just another cook. If I work at a soup kitchen, carol in the nursing home, and give all that I have to charity, but do not show love to my family, it profits me nothing. If I trim the spruce tree with shimmering angels and crocheted snowflakes, attend a myriad of holiday parties and sing in the church's cantata, but do not focus on Christ, I've missed the point. Love stops the cooking to hug the child. Love sets aside the decorating to kiss the spouse. Love is kind, though harried and tired. Love does not envy another's home that has coordinated Christmas china and table linens. Love does not yell at the kids to get out of the way, but is thankful that they are there to be in the way. Love does not give only to those who are able to give in return, but rejoices in giving to those who cannot. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. Video games will break. Gold necklaces will be lost. Golf clubs will rust. But giving the gift of love will endure. So how do we prepare the way of the Lord? Well, let's clean our souls, be sorry for our sins, accept our salvation in Jesus, acknowledge our sins before Him, repent, turn to Jesus, and live the gospel and share that good news both in your words by bringing people back this is the perfect time to evangelize and bring people back to the faith as well as these kinds of acts of love amidst your material preparations for Christmas so don't give us a call today because we're pre-recording this show and this is Colleen Kelly Mast you're listening to Mast Appeal and a pre-recorded show I've got a stack of your email questions that you've been sending in to me to help put this show together and some other interesting information that is free friendly advice from a Catholic perspective so we're going to go to our break right now and we'll be back to talk about today's Saint Juan Diego right after this message 
Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. Why does St. Nicholas deliver gifts under the cover of night? Well, that tradition began in my hometown of Patara in Asia Minor when I came to the help of a destitute man who had three grown daughters. He was so poor that he could barely feed them. Because he was so desperate, he was tempted to sell them into slavery. Then I remembered the words of Jesus who said, When you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. And so I put together three bags of gold coins and tossed them through the window at night to help them. That was the first of my midnight visits. And that's the reason to this very day, even when I'm dressed as Santa Claus, I still deliver gifts under the cover of night. May the same love, joy, and peace that the angels proclaimed on that first Christmas animate your own heart to give hope to those most in need. For Christ is born. Glorify Him. Unveiling the Covenant is the newest program from Ave Maria Radio. What is a covenant? It's a vowed exchange of lives which results in an unbreakable family bond. Throughout Scripture, God seeks to espouse all mankind to Himself in an unbreakable covenant bond. His covenantal love is a free gift, but it necessitates a response from us. We are free to accept or reject it. Let's learn what this means as we unveil the covenant. Saturday mornings at 11 and Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio. This week on Christ is the Answer, Father John talks about our inviolable dignity. Created in the image of God, each and every human person has an inviolable dignity. But what exactly does this mean? And what does it entail? And what do we receive because of it? Join us this week as Father John shows us how to see others through the lens of Jesus, as well as talking about the four goods of marriage. Tune in for Christ is the Answer, Monday through Fridays at 11 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio. Appeal, the Saturday morning show on Catholic Radio, where you can get some free and friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. This is Colleen Kelly Mast. I'm a life coach, an author, a speaker, and I'm here for you each week uh, offering free, friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. <clears throat> Although today's show is pre-recorded, there's still plenty of free, friendly advice coming here in the next two hours. Um, I've got your email questions and answers to those and some other bits of information that will help you have a better Advent and prepare for Christmas. As well, so prepare the way of the Lord in your own heart and amongst those loved ones that are around you. If you want to learn more about my work, my family life education books, my life coaching, my speaking, you can go to my website at respectforyou.com. Respect the number four, the letter U.com. And if you ever want to hear another, you uh, hear this show again. You and you want to hear that. Uh, thing that I just read about from First uh, Corinthians 13 about decorating your house, you can always go to AveMariaRadio.net. Ave Maria Radio is a producer of this show, and they will have all of the shows in the archives. So I think we have a lesson to learn today, and from today's saint, Juan Diego. How are we getting ready for Christ? We'll spread the good news. So here's a, a young man who felt unworthy, and he, was, he had an appearance by the Blessed Mother. Some of you know this story. And because he, he was just recently, well, recently, okay, for people who are 
old enough. Um, he was just canonized by Pope John Paul II in July 2002. So recently, for those of us that are over 50, uh, might remember when he was canonized because he was just kind of the shadow in the beauty of the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe. But on December 9th in 1531, Juan Diego, he was then 57 years old, and he was taking his daily route to Mass, and he was walking by Topayak Hill, and all of a sudden he hears this beautiful music, like choirs of angels singing. And so he stopped to listen to it. And when he stopped, the music stopped. And then he heard the sweetest voice he'd ever heard that was beckoning him, Juan Diego, Juan, Juan Diego, Juanito. And there before him stood a most beautiful young woman, a Mexican girl, who looked like an Aztec princess. So she was dressed in an embroidered scarlet gown, and over her head and her shoulders hung a deep jade-colored mantle covered with golden stars, and she was standing on a maroon crescent held above the ground by an angel. So if you can envision that beauty that Juan Diego saw, first he was overwhelmed by the sound, and then by the beauty of this Mexican girl who looked like an Aztec princess, and then the beauty of what she had on, and then all those messages that, well, we know are now in, in the Our Lady of Guadalupe's uh, uh, gown. And so Our Lady said to him, Dear little son, I love you. I want you to know who I am. I am the ever-Virgin Mary, mother of the true God who gives life. Well, is that a wonderful revelation to us? She identified herself, the mother of the true God who gives life. So those people that doubt why we pray to Mary, she's told us she is the mother of the true God who gives life. So then she asked Juan Diego to go to the bishop and request that a chapel be built on the hill for the Mexican natives for whom she expressed a special love. And this is why she is their patron of Mexico. So, first of all, Juan Diego asked, you know, could, you, could someone more worthy do this? I'm not the most worthy person. Um, but then he went ahead and, and rushed uh, to do what he asked, and he was able to get in to see the bishop, but he was dismissed without an answer. So then he tried again on his second attempt for Juan Diego to approach the bishop. Um, the bishop asked him for proof that he had really seen the mother of God. Because, you know, bishops need to make sure this, this guy's not having a delusion, you know, smoking some funny leaf or mental illness or something like that. It's like, okay, sh give me proof that uh, you have seen the mother of God. So... Juan Diego left really excited. He was sure that the Blessed Mother would give him some proof. But the next morning, something happened. He couldn't go meet with her because um, he found that his only surviving relative, his uncle, was seriously ill. So Juan, out of duty, felt, okay, this is my duty to, to bring a priest to my dying uncle. So he took a different route that was not the route where he usually saw the Blessed Virgin. And so he was delayed. But what the Blessed Virgin did was intercepted him on the path of this other route, and she assured him that his uncle would recover. 
So then she instructed him to gather flowers, and some of you know this part of the story, gather flowers that were growing on the hilltop in his tilma, which is his cloak, kind of a, a large shirt. And she said, gather those flowers, and this is the middle of winter, okay, and carry them to the bishop. And so the Blessed Mother arranged roses and tied the corners of his tilma and asked him not to release his shirt until he reached the bishop. So this is why Juan Diego is known uh, to be seen with roses. And I know that I know that this for sure because my son had to make a diorama of Juan, Saint Juan Diego at one time, and we had to go find Barbie's little bouquet of roses out of my daughter's toy box to get him. And he had a GI Joe dressed up in a, a tilma. <laughs> we had the the uh, Barbie's flowers, the roses falling out of his cloak. So anyway, so the the Blessed Mother arranged these roses and said don't release your shirt until he reached the bishop so Juan Diego thought oh this is going to be easy to convince him how how would I have gotten roses in the winter but the blessed mother of course topped that so Juan Diego stood before the bishop he untied his shirt and releasing the flowers and the bishop didn't even notice the flowers why because he was staring at Juan Diego's shirt I just cry, just cry when I think of this. He fell to his knees with tears streaming down his face. So the bishop fell to his knees with tears streaming down his face. And Juan Diego did not know why the bishop was crying. Like, why is he on his knees? This is roses. You know, this is my sign. And so Juan Diego was much perplexed. And he looked down at his shirt. And he saw that the Virgin Mary had given him a sign even more miraculous than roses. And even though the roses were growing on the side of a mountain in winter, what she had left on his cloak was an image of herself on his tilma, looking exactly as he had seen her, like this Aztec princess in this embroidered scarlet gown. And so when Juan returned home, he found that his uncle's health had been completely restored and the Blessed Mother had appeared to his uncle as well. So when people wonder about appearances of the Blessed Mother, are these true? Yes. Quite a bit of evidence right there. And this evidence was so profound that this simple man of faith and courage um, had an appearance of the Blessed Mother as well as miracles, one of his uncle, the other of this picture of the, the, the tilma on his cloak, and a picture of the Blessed Mother on his cloak as well as the roses. The roses were small compared to that. But sometimes people smell roses and know it's the Blessed Mother there. And many of you have a picture of Our Lady Guadalupe. She's not only the patroness of Mexico, but also of pro-life and of the Americas. Um, because here, here's the conversions that happened. Um, the chapel that was built, that the Virgin requested, it was quickly built, and the image she left has been given the name of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And here's what happened. In the following seven years after this apparition, apparition are you ready for the number? Eight million formerly pagan Aztec Indians were baptized and became Christians. Eight Million, And this is due to one man's yes to the Blessed Mother. 
And today, many of you maybe have been to a pilgrimage to Guadalupe. Today, an average of 1,500 pilgrims kneel daily before the miraculous tilma. I've been down there. I've seen it. Which has sustained its perfect image for almost 500 years at the new Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City now. So, what lessons can we learn from St. Juan Diego, our saint today, is one, believe, do what the Blessed Mother says, and many people will be converted. So we think of all the messages she's trying to give us now. Pray the rosary, fast, um, uh, and fast and pray. Turn to her son Jesus. Be sorry for your sins. Dress modestly. Uh, save the family. And you know. And she keeps telling us to turn to her son. And we can do that even more seriously this Advent than we had done before. So blessed Juan Diego, who now enjoys the beatific vision of God and the company of our beautiful Mother Mary on your feast day, uh, we ask that you and Our Lady of Guadalupe bless our efforts to bring people to Christ, if, if his efforts to say yes to the Blessed Mother and the Blessed Mother's beautiful miracles brought 8 million pagan Aztec Indians to be baptized, what can we do in our country now for people who know this to be true, for people that, that, that Mary loves very much, that our Lord Jesus loves very much and have heard this message but have rejected it in our country. So pray, pray, pray. Repent, come back, bring people back to the church, and we can really celebrate St. Juan Diego and Our Lady of Guadalupe all during Advent and fulfill all of her requests to pray, and then we will bring more people to the faith, to the joy that we know, and to the real joy that is Christmas, and that's responding to this weekend's gospel prepare the way of the lord this is colleen kelly mast on mast appeal this is a pre-recorded show i've got a stack of your email questions stay tuned today you will still get some free friendly advice from a catholic perspective from the answers to your questions and some other advice that we have so don't give us a call today but hang on for your call questions till next week for today for today we're doing email questions so we'll be back with more of Mass Appeal in just a moment. discernment of spirits, St. Ignatius of Loyola teaches that one of the experiences of spiritual consolation includes every increase of faith, hope, and love. Every baptized Christian receives the supernatural gifts of faith, hope, and love through their baptism. Through spiritual consolation, the gift of feeling stronger or deeper faith, hope, and love increases and has a recognizable intensity within a person's interior spiritual experience. There is a before and after effect. Before the gift of the spiritual consolation, a person may be exercising faith, but then after receiving the grace of a spiritual consolation, the person feels their faith increase in a perceptible way. This is true regarding increases of hope and love as well. Let us ask God to grant us every increase of faith, hope, and love precisely when we need it. For more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. 
The Catholic Church teaches that Jesus Christ is a literally and wholly present body and blood, soul and divinity under the appearances of bread and wine. Feeding 5,000 from a boy's five barley loaves and two fish as recorded in John chapter 6 is quite a miracle. Yet the next day, Jesus downplays it in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Likewise, God's provision of manna to the Israelites in the desert was also a great miracle. Yet Jesus similarly downplays it in verse 49. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus is clearly stating that his Eucharist is greater than both of these amazing miracles, and the Catholic Church absolutely takes him at his word. Examining the truths of the Catholic faith, this is faithforensics.org. Welcome to Mass Appeal, the Saturday morning show on Catholic Radio where you can get some free and friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. Yes, we're not live today. It's a pre-recorded show, um, but you will get some free, friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. And I want to thank all of you that sent me email questions. Um, I've got... Questions from every age group, somebody, a high school student, a college student, regular adults with uh, in-law issues or holiday visit questions and discerning God's will and coming back to confession after decades. And so uh, we'll plow into these here. At, uh, and you can always learn more about my work at my website, respectforyou.com, respect the number four, the letter U.com. And if you want to hear this show again or you, um, or you want to download it as a podcast and play it for someone else, maybe their question was answered, you can always go to AveMariaRadio.net and listen to the archives of the show. All right, so um, our, email, our first email question for today is um, from Martha, and she said, we will be visiting family after the holidays in another state. I'm nervous about facing my sister-in-law, who always tends to criticize my physical imperfections. Oh my goodness, how many of you have a sister-in-law? like that or relatives oh my goodness in our family we had a relative like that as well so she says my husband says it's just how his family is always speaking it's just how his family is always speaking very bluntly and they think this is honesty but you know if you listen regularly honesty without kindness isn't really a good virtue is it okay so my husband says this is just how his family is They're always speaking very bluntly. I'm a timid, reserved person, and I don't know how to handle her comments. She tends to make in front of the entire family. Oh, my goodness, that must hurt. Okay, I know I will face the critical comments on our visit. (laughs) Like you're, you're braced and ready for it. I thought I had to address it. I thought I had to address it was to bring a small gift for her and ask if I can give it to her in private. What a great idea, Martha. She said, then take the opportunity to talk to her about anything she sees in me in private because she honestly feels uncontrollable flaws have to be addressed, such as my hair thinning due to aging and genetics. So I look forward to hearing your advice. She says, I admire and appreciate you. Many blessings for you and your work. 
Well, thanks, Martha. This is a great question, and you are not the only person asking that. So you have done thousands of listeners a favor because many people face this same dilemma when we are going to holiday parties at uh, you know, the holidays. So I think, first of all, your idea is great. I, I love how you articul- articulated the problem. And I think your idea to bring her a gift and ask if you can give it to her in private is a great idea. But then you got to figure out what to say. You do want to talk to her and say, um, you know, and I just wanted to give you this gift to show how much I care about you, and I'm happy to be part of this family. And then you can say, but I did want to ask you one question. Would that be all right? So get her permission to ask the question. Just is it okay if I ask you a, a personal question, or can, is it okay if I ask you a question? And then just say, would it be okay if when you point out my flaws that we did it like right now in private instead of doing it in front of everybody else? You know, because things that you mentioned last time, I know my hair is thinning. I know that, you know, whatever your flaws might be, you know, um, putting on weight or I've aged spots, you know. And I accept those, And but I don't think that they have to be announced to the whole family. And it, it kind of, you know, being a shy person, it makes me feel bad um, to for you to announce those. So I was wondering if you could please... Tell me those in private. If you feel compelled to tell me, I'm willing to accept, you know, criticism or comments like that anytime. I don't, I don't want to be proud about it. I can be humble about it. But if you want to tell me those critiques of me, could we please do it in private? Would that be okay with you? And she's going to either say yes or no. She's probably going to say yes, Martha, because... At this point, when you just ask her to do it in private, she realized that what she did might have been mean or obnoxious or just inconsiderate. And she doesn't think of other people's feelings if she criticizes them out loud in front of others. And actually, it could be sometimes her own pride or making her feel better to announce somebody else's flaws instead of her own. So I'd say your idea of giving her a gift is a great idea. Talk to her in private and just say, can I ask you a question and ask her if it would be okay that that she, if she feels compelled to tell you your own flaws if she does it in private instead of everybody else because you really want to enjoy the other people. Now, what you don't have to tell her is that it's against the Eighth Commandment <laughs> to say bad things about people in front of other people. Um, so, or you know, you can just... Uh, you know, just ask her that question, and I think that will be fine. I think that she will get the message, and she might be offended at the beginning, but if she's one of those people that just, they all speak real bluntly, and honestly, they're forgetting about kindness. And so maybe at the end of that conversation when she says, yeah, I can do that, you could say, you know, it really is an act of kindness to to say nice things to people instead of bringing up their flaws in front of others. So it might even be nice to do that. And then, you know, how you could end that, and I'm thinking of how St. Vincent de Paul and St. Um, um, Francis de Sales would um, ask someone to make a change in their life, and then they would end it with another compliment. And that they, or sometimes they would 
um, humble themselves and say, you know, I'm not always perfect at that either. And I know I have these personal flaws, and, and I, I can see why you might want to bring it to my attention. But I'm, I'm just asking if uh, in the future you could just bring it to my attention in private. And that way you don't make it sound like you're putting her down or you're smarter than her or better than her, or that you're not putting her down for her, you know, pride or thoughtlessness or things like that. You're just asking her, please, could you not do it this way in front of other people? So I think you got this, Martha. I think that bringing her a little gift is a wonderful thing to do, and I think just asking her privately not to criticizing you in front of others is a very simple but calm good idea for someone who is already a little bit shy. All right, so thank you for that email, and we will... um, Get on to the next one, but we just have a few seconds left, so I'm going to fill it in with one of these funny Christmas jokes. A second grade, a second grader was asked in CCD class, "What was the name of Mary's husband?" And one little boy raised his hand and said, "Verge." And the teacher responded, "Verge, Verge. Where did you hear that? That Mary's husband name was Verge?" And he said. Oh, my mom always talks about Virg and Mary, so I figure Virg must be Mary's husband if Virg and Mary always go together. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, I've read that one before, years ago, I think. So, but, but kids say the cutest things. Okay, the um, another little girl climbed into Santa's lap, and Santa asked her the usual, and what would you like for Christmas? And the child stared at him, open-mouthed and horrified for a minute, and then gasped. Didn't you get my email? Santa, didn't you get my text? Didn't you know I sent you my list? Does that mean you didn't get it? Do you have it ready? (laughs) Okay, we'll be back with more of Mass Appeal and our next email question um, after this message. Vanessa Denhagarmo here, inviting you to tune into Epiphany. We're made to praise God and celebrate our faith. I want to encourage listeners to connect, communicate, and collaborate with the faith community. Life is a journey, and along the way, we have those Epiphany moments that bring us closer to Christ. Please partner with me and celebrate the diversity of our Catholic Church. Epiphany, weekdays at noon, only on Ave Maria Radio. What constitutes hope? The Catholic Catechism tells us when God fully reveals himself and calls man, man cannot respond on his own. He must hope that God will give him the capacity to love and respond and act in conformity with the commandment of charity. Hope confidently expects divine blessing and the beatific vision of God while fearing to offend him and incur punishment. Despair is a sin against hope, because when a man despairs, he ceases to hope for his eternal salvation, which denies God's goodness, justice, and mercy. The sin of presumption, on the other hand, assumes God will give you forgiveness without conversion and glory without merit, or presumes that man can win his salvation with no supernatural assistance. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. 
Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Mass Appeal, the Saturday morning show on Catholic Radio, where you can get some free and friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. I'm not giving out the phone number today because it's a pre-recorded show full of your uh, email questions that you have sent me. Thank you for doing that uh, to to make this show fresh and new here during Advent. And uh, we spoke about Juan Diego and about the Gospels, getting ready for Christ, spreading that good news. And we're going to talk this segment about other ways that we can get ready by doing good and being good. And this is also, besides the Feast of Juan Diego in, in Advent, it is also Hanukkah time. And so having grown up in a Jewish neighborhood, and I know we have some Jewish fans that listen regularly as well, and I have such an affection for all my Jewish neighbors that I grew up with. We loved them. They were like siblings to us. We played out in the street and in the sidewalks, and I know Alan Schlachter would make a road, a line down the middle of the road, and he would act as a policeman, and um, you know, all of our friends, Lori and uh, Susan, and we would, uh, Sharon, we would uh, have so much fun in the neighborhood. So And so we would sometimes go over to their house when they were lighting their Hanukkah candles and say prayers with them. We've been to bar mitzvahs and stuff like that. So when I saw in uh, Women's Day magazine, they have a a uh, rabbi in residence, besides their Christian spiritual guide in the magazine, they um, he shared some ancient and universal Jewish wisdom that would help us actually prepare for Christ. When you think of the Jewish people preparing for the Savior all those years, there's wisdom in the Old Testament, as you know, and wisdom in the Jewish faith to prepare us better for Christmas. So I thought, well, this would be great to read in Advent uh, as we're preparing for the coming of Christ, because the Jewish people prepared for centuries over the for the coming of the Savior. So we can apply some of these Jewish wisdom lessons um, as we prepare for our Savior. So the um, so Stephen Leader, the uh, a Jewish rabbi that writes in uh, Women's Day magazine, he said at some point in every child's life, almost every Jewish parent says, "Be a mensch." So a mensch means a person in German, for those of you with a German background. But it's understood to mean someone of good character, a person of strength, integrity, honor, compassion. We would call it a virtuous person. And so it would be like a gentleman or a dignified lady. So in today's world, people wouldn't know what that meant because we have this, we live in this world of you know, celebrities and social media and materialism and coarseness and violence. And, you know, it can be a real challenge to raise a good kid, a good a kid with good character. And, and even there are no guarantees. I know many of you worked for years teaching your kids to be virtuous people, and they resisted that. But here are the, the top ten lessons uh, from a Jewish rabbi about being a person of character that we can apply here as we prepare for the way of the Lord at Christmas. So he says, first, 
teach children what success really means. And so he said when, when her daughter was little and people commented on her beautiful red hair, we made the point of asking, Hannah, what's more important than being beautiful? And we taught her to answer, being nice. And actually one of my friends had a, a line that she would tell her daughter, she would say, is it better to be pretty or good? And she would always say, better to be good, mommy. So... Um, this Jewish rabbi, Steve, taught her to answer being nice. So now at 31 years old, she still remembers that lesson. And he says, the Talmud imagines that every newborn is visited by an angel who makes the child take a simple oath. Be righteous and never be wicked. That's good advice. The child is not asked to be brilliant, popular, or exceptional in any way other than in character. What if we taught that lesson to our children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, and godchildren this Advent? He says, praise children for steering clear of cruelty like bullying, gossip, rudeness, or ridicule of a friend or stranger, and model the right behavior by steering clear of those things as well. So if we ask our children to follow the commandments and be a person of character, but they hear us always gossiping or ripping people to shreds or bullying others or being rude to our own spouse or our relatives, what are they going to learn from us? Okay, the second lesson he says then leads to this, follow your own lessons. Do we sneak our children into the amusement park at the under 12 price, even though they're older? Do we tell them to be nice to their siblings when we haven't called our own siblings in months? Do we say how lucky they are but whine about not wanting more ourselves? You know, so if you want to raise a person of character, do as you say. So the third life lesson, he says, people tend to be good to someone from whom they want help, friendship, intimacy, or money. Hmm. But if our children see us treating everyone respectfully, from strangers to clerks to telemarketers to the elderly, they will do the same. Do you do that if you're grocery shopping and uh, checking out <laughs> if there's someone to check you out? I always try to treat him as a person, you know, not just as <laughs> a robot. <laughs> Thank them for being there. Thanks for working today. Thanks for checking me out. Okay, number four, a life lesson is um, a person of character, a mensch in the Jewish language, doesn't disappear. When a friend or classmate is ill or suffers trauma, Encourage your children to visit or call. A mensch runs toward people who are suffering, not away from them. So if there is a relative of yours, an aunt, an uncle, a grandma, a cousin, someone that is maybe living alone or even in a nursing home or sick in the hospital, make sure you go to visit them. Bring them a little gift. Write them a card. Number five. A mensch knows the difference between an inconvenience and a problem. So do children see us angrier about traffic or an overdone steak at the restaurant than about poverty or oppression? No, teach children the difference between an inconvenience and a problem so they won't grow up to be selfish or petty. So think about that. When you react and you respond, we should be more responsive to something that is a serious either social ill or a personal sin or even a social sin than we are about irritations, about the mud they bring in on their shoes 
That's not a sin. Muddy shoes is not a sin. Yes, it might have been inconsiderate. It might have been disobedience. We told them to take their shoes off. But we don't get as upset about that as we would if a child lies or steals or is mean to their sibling or disrespects their parents. Okay, and number six bit of advice is a mensch doesn't gossip. Number seven, a mensch gives. Let children know and experience what you do with your charitable dollars and time because this is a giving season. This is the end of the year when so many places are uh, asking for donations, including all of your radio stations and EWTN and Avi Maria Radio. It's time to give. So a person of character does give. Let your kids know that, what you do with your time, your dollars, what you give to, and enable them to volunteer, earn their own money, and give 10% to charity or give their extra socks or clothes uh, to poor people or maybe you know bring some food to a shelter. Number eight of the life lessons, consider what derogatory words are said at home. Whatever someone's color, sexual orientation or expression, age, weight, net worth or religion, a mensch really doesn't care or bring that to their attention. So whether you view the differences with prejudice or choose to affirm the sanctity of us all, Your children are watching, listening, and learning to do it, too. Number nine, a mensch is honest. He said when our son Aaron was five, he admitted to throwing a rock in the neighbor's backyard and apologized. And it remains a proud moment in my life that he went in, admitted, and apologized. And number ten, of the ten bits of life lessons that we can learn during Hanukkah or Advent as we prepare the way for Christ is um, he said, a therapist once told me that 90% of what she treated people for could have been prevented by ordinary kindness. Think about that. Not being cruel means avoiding certain behaviors. Kindness requires action. A kind word, a call, a touch. The world is starving for kindness. So if your children see you being actively kind, they will likely follow suit. More than anything, a person of character is kind. Time for our break. We'll be back with another email question of yours as we prepare the way of the Lord here this Advent. We'll be right back right after this message. When you find yourself with extra time on your hands, various thoughts might swirl around in your head. Perhaps crossing your mind is your current life situation, your future, the gaps in your life, and the blind spots keeping you from seeing the obstacles preventing you from achieving your goals. With all this time to think, how many of you are calling on God to guide you. Don't just think about life. Discern each situation. Invite our Lord to talk through these decisions with you. What is God's will for you? When I coach clients who want a Christian perspective, we start each session in prayer. But even with clients who want a more secular approach, I pray silently to myself that the Holy Spirit guide us. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations we never anticipated with so much extra time to think. So go deeper in thought by truly meditating on the Word of God. Because communicating as a Christian means inviting Christ to the conversation. This has been a Christ Center communication message. I'm Vanessa Denhagarmo, a communications evangelist. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. It's important for kids to have chores so they can learn how to contribute to a healthy, happy, peaceful household. But does your family make a little time every day to work together? Working together as a family gives parents an opportunity to model healthy attitudes toward work and stewardship and learn the basics of responsibility. 
Doing dishes together, cleaning up the family room together each evening, folding laundry together are just a few examples. But whatever the actual task, the important thing is that family work rituals help a family learn to be a strong team. That's one reason family rituals for working together are such an important part of Catholic family life. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. Welcome to Mass Appeal, the Saturday morning show on Catholic Radio where you can get some free and friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. The number to get on today's show... No, I'm not going to tell you the number. It's a pre-recorded show. That was a habit. Um, We're answering emails today, and we've got one here from a listener that says, don't say my name, I'll remain anonymous. So she says, a quick question. We need your thoughts and suggestions. She says, I have a cousin in in his early 70s, and he has cancer, quite likely to be terminal. And he's dealt with it for a few years. He says, she says, sometimes bad, other times he's well enough to travel, but that changes. And she said, currently he seems to be doing okay, though he has his ups and downs. And she said, he emails frequently, and he lives at a distance, many states away, and he lost his wife suddenly to cancer earlier this year. He seems somewhat secular, although he says he frequently says the rosary. He emailed this morning and said every Sunday he tells himself he should go to Mass, but seems to lack the motivation to attend. He also said that he remembers from his childhood hearing that missing Mass is a mortal sin. Okay, he says this in an email, so I can imagine, like, huh? how do I respond without condemning him, right? So she says, I want to respond charitably, of course. Not quite sure what to say in response, because he's very sincere and generally quite humble. I would guess that his dealing with the cancer makes him feel quite bad physically, so it would be another factor consider to consider regarding mass attendance. So any suggestions, how do I respond? Um, she said maybe I steer him to a website or um, on the subject or something like that. So I would say better than a website is your faith, sharing your faith. And although he seems to be emailing, see if he's open to a phone call and, and say, hey, you know, I've been getting all your emails. I thought it's time to chat. So call him. And if you have access to do something like FaceTime or Zoom, call him and even see him. And I'd say talk to him and listen to him. And just say, well, I've been reading your emails and you have some very interesting things in there that maybe you'd like to talk about. Do you have any questions about the faith? You said that you just don't have the motivation to attend and, um, and you know, is there anything I can help you with or a question that might motivate you? Um, and when you pray the rosary, does that make you want to go to Mass? And, and just listen to him and see what he's saying. And then you can affirm what he said. Just say in your last email you remembered from childhood hearing that missing Mass is a mortal sin. And you can say, you know what, that's true, you know, unless you're sick and you can't get to Mass, which I know has been your case. And so you, you kind of 
forgive him in a way to know that it's okay when you're very sick not to get to Mass. But then I'm going to suggest that you say this, to say if you're sick and you can't get to Mass, many, many places have Mass online. And if you have done a Zoom call with him, you can share screen and actually watch a Holy Mass together online or if you can find a mass that is online that both of you can watch at the same time and just say let's go to mass together let's sit and listen or watch this mass the mass on EWTN he can watch on TV while you're watching it on TV and you can take you know turn the phone off during that time or just say if you have any questions about mass after mass or even during mass if you're watching it on TV make what you can do is to instead Instead of just sending him a website, talk to him and share with him ways that he can attend Mass, answer his question about Mass. You know, ask him what he does believe, because I think he does still believe if he's thinking about the badness of missing Mass and he's praying the rosary, and invite him to attend Mass with you online or over the phone, however you can, and talk to him about the Sacrament of Reconciliation, and just suggest that when he does have a good day, if you are feeling well and it happens to be a Saturday, you can get to confession, maybe email him a link to a good examination of conscience and say, I know you've been away for a while. Here's a simple, just a a really simple one, not too complicated for someone that's coming back, Um, an examination of conscience. It sounds like God's drawing you back to church and and remind it maybe look up the confession times in a nearby church and say on a day you're feeling better go over at this time or you can always make an appointment with the priest or if he's really sick he can ask a priest to come to his home to give him the anointing of the sick and to hear his confession so help him find those resources available to the church and invite him back if he's praying the rosary and worried about missing mass thinking it's a mortal sin it's time he's asking questions So go ahead and talk to him on the phone, go to Mass, invite him back to confession. And if you can, I know you said he's many states away, go visit him. You and your husband should go visit him. A wonderful visit the sick um, corporal work of mercy. So do that as well. Okay, another email question, another email show. We will be back in a few more minutes with our next hour of Mass Appeal with free friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. This is Life News Radio. I'm Jim Anderson. Illinois Representative Mary Miller has introduced three bills to address three national problems with abortion. First, women are poorly informed of risks and problems with abortion. Also, to advance the use of abortion drugs, Health and Human Services defines pregnancy a life-threatening illness. And finally, the federal employment regulators are threatening to make all employers provide abortion. Miller's bills would give women more information, prohibit unnatural definitions of pregnancy, and block EEOC coercion of employers. Elon Musk is condemning population control efforts and is tying his view of demography to how unborn children have no voice. Musk is bucking the opinions of big personalities and big money and taking on the effects of both birth control and abortion. This is Life News Radio.
A woman is suing Texas because doctors say her unborn child is disabled and she wants an abortion. Disability rights advocates are crying foul. They not only oppose disability abortions, but point to New York Times reports showing up to 85% of those tests that allegedly uncovered disabilities among the unborn are false positives. Suffering as an excuse for deadly discrimination is loaded with problems for society. Catholic Vote is reporting that since the Dobbs decision reversed Roe, 100 pro-life groups and 218 churches have been attacked. Only four people have been prosecuted. More than one member of Congress says FACE Act prosecutions show a significant bias toward protecting only abortion clinics. And a prosecutor has filed an appeal of a court ruling which has invalidated, with no legal rationale, Wisconsin's 1849 abortion ban. For pro-life headlines, delivered to your email address daily, sign up at lifenews.com. This has been Life News Radio. On the next Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. We'll keep you closely connected to the faith with the latest from Rome, the front lines of the pro-life movement, and we'll also take a look at other crucial issues facing you and your family in our one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Weekday mornings at 8 on Ave Maria Radio's 990 AM and 105.5 and 107.9 FM. Ever thought you'd make a bundle by trading in or selling your used vehicle only to find out it's worth a dinner for two? Well, it's much more valuable to donate your vehicle to Ave Maria Radio. Thousands of Americans donate their vehicle each year. The donation to Ave Maria is easy, tax-deductible, and supports our efforts to evangelize. A year from now, will you remember that dinner or your gracious and selfless donation? Go to AveMariaRadio.net to find out more. That's AveMariaRadio.net. 990 WDEO, Ypsilanti, Detroit, W300CO Dexter, an Ave Maria radio station, and on the net at AveMariaRadio.net. our second hour of Mass Appeal, a pre-recorded show today where you still can get some free, friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. This is Colleen Kelly Mass. My background is in family life education, starting out in a family. I have a, I'm a certified life coach. I have an honorary doctorate degree in humane letters and teaching certificates in health science, physical education, and theology. And I have a master's degree in health education, so I always have been interested in health things. So I had thought one time of being a doctor, but I thought, you know, I don't really want to go into medicine and surgery. I just want to help people get healthy. So I got a master's degree in health education, which helped me out tremendously when I was very sick, almost dead, curled up in a ball, wanting to die with a toxic pregnancy with my fifth child. And since then, And I was very, very sick. Actually, some of my body systems are even shutting down. I uh, have come back to life through mostly natural means, natural health. Any method that is moral, I've probably checked it out and utilized some some methods of 
uh, whether it's uh, homeopathy or phototherapy with the, the light wave patches, the light wave patches, or uh, you know different uh, uh, different drinks that you drink and different uh, uh, exercises that you do and different ways that we can uh, move our bodies to help heal us. So I I love health and I love being healthy. I'm also the mother of five adult children. I've been married for over 40 years. I grew up second oldest of nine children in the Chicago area. And I'm going to meet with my cousins soon here that are in from out of town for the holidays. So let's continue here on our pre-recorded show in Advent for we have uh, talked about Advent and prepared ourselves for that we've got um, we've talked about some Jewish wisdom last hour and we've got lots of your email questions and thank you for sending those in uh, I've got a, a stack of questions that we might not even finish this hour of questions that you emailed me to help create this show so I appreciate all of you things from discerning God's will and things actually about the pill if that's a, a poem um, about being pro-life about coming back to confess But we're going to start here at the top of the hour with a guest um, from the Cardinal Newman Society. We've had... We've mentioned the Cardinal Newman Society in previous years on the show. Actually, one year I did a whole show of students from colleges that are on the Newman list of colleges that are really Catholic. And I did this before my granddaughter was deciding about where to go for college. And... What we have learned is that the Cardinal Newman Society has Catholic criterion upon which they look at the different Catholic schools, the the universities and colleges right away, and to see if these theology teachers have signed the mandatum. They look at the the campus life. They look at the what the teachers are teaching to see is this authentically a Catholic college. And unfortunately, there's still only about 20 on the list, I believe. But also, we recently learned that the Cardinal Newman Society has now um, decided to look at grade schools, um, elementary schools, and high schools as well, so that um, so we, as consumers of education, would be able to uh, discern without having to go visit all 20 schools or all the universities or ask them all those hard questions if they are if they are truly Catholic. And so we hope maybe uh, we'll get somebody to join us from the Cardinal Newman Society this hour as well. Um, but for now, I would like to continue some of the uh, emails that I've received from you. The um, for, No, I'm going to tell a couple funny Christmas stories first. Okay, true story. A nativity play was going as planned, and Joseph and Mary were going from house to house, knocking on the doors and asking if there was anybody, if there was any room for them. And as soon as they continued to get no room answers, a little voice from the back called out, You should have booked ahead. <laughs> bringing the house down. One more little funny before we get to our uh, um, inspiration of the day. The uh, local newscaster was with a crowd of parade watchers welcoming Santa as he arrived in town and in a live interview asked this bouncy little four-year-old girl if she had talked with Santa yet to give him her Christmas list. No, she replied emphatically. Are you going to talk with Santa? The newscaster asked, no, once again, that's the most definite answer, which was not the reaction he was expecting at all. And why, he says, she says, 
Because the real Santa is in the mall. This is not the real Santa, so I'm not going to talk to him. Okay, one more. <laughs> what are the three gifts? While participating in a church Christmas pageant, a shy 10-year-old was chosen as the narrator. Each rehearsal went off well, and then on the night of the show, in a loud and penetrating voice, he announced, The gifts of the Magi are gold, Frankenstein, and myrrh. <laughs> oh, boy, Frankenstein. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, honey. Okay, we will uh, go next to our, our guest. We do have Kevin Murphy on the line from the Cardinal Newman Society. Um, going to tell us about a couple things about the being a light in the darkness of all the, the colleges out there and looking at high schools as well as colleges um, and rating them for see, to see if they're authentically Catholic. And then they have a scholarship contest that you might want to hear about for yourselves if you're that age or for your nieces and nephews and children and grandchildren that can win a scholarship. All right, so is Kevin on the line with us now? Okay, welcome. Kevin Murphy, Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the Cardinal Newman Society, a trusted organization that will help us discern what schools we want to invest our money in, whether as a donor or as a place we want to send our youth to get a truly authentic Catholic education. So welcome to the show, Kevin. We appreciate all the work that you do there at the Cardinal Newman Society. Oh, thank you, and likewise. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so tell us there's a couple new things going on there that we want our listeners to hear about. Um, so give us give us yeah, the news, at, update us, yeah. Awesome, yes. So the um, we do have an essay contest. I'll start with this because I think this is fabulous. First of all, um, through some, some very generous donors, we have an, an essay contest in which the winner could win a $5,000 scholarship towards the tuition at a Newman Guide College of their choice. It's a, um, a, a program that we've been doing now, um, going on our eighth year. And the idea is for the, the, coll- the high school senior to write a paper explaining the importance of a Newman Guide College as kind of, let's say, a capstone to lifelong Catholic formation. Mm. How, does it, how does that kind of build upon what has been the foundation for this student, you know, the, act, mm-hmm. the actions that that ah. person has had to take uh, okay. throughout their life. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's the first thing. And it's an easy one. It's like four to 600 words. I mean, you can't get an easier assignment than that. You go to, you go to college, you're not going to have that easy of an assignment. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's an easy one. Um, and, and here's the beauty of this. You not only get, you could be the potential winner for a $5,000 scholarship. But in addition to that, there are participating colleges that said, hey, if that winner chooses our college, we will simply duplicate that scholarship for the remaining three years of that college student's life. So now the 5000 multiplies to $20,000. Mm. That sounds fantastic. So that's- how, are, how are our seniors in high school that we know supposed to hear about this? Is it just going through like homeschool groups or only people that are looking at those colleges or they go to your website and like, is it, is this just a way to announce it? But how does, how would a regular high school senior find out about these scholarships and what a Newman college or Newman society college really is? 
Yeah, that's such a great question. You know, sometimes I, I make the mistake myself of people just saying, oh, you know what the Cardinal Newman Society does, right? And um, Not everybody and does. some of the faithful colleges, mm-hmm. even some of the faithful places, they don't. So let me let me do that introduction. I thank you so much for that, that platform. Okay. So the Cardinal Newman Society is, is celebrating its 30 year of being in business. And it started when Patrick Riley attended Fordham University. And at Fordham University, he started encountering some very troubling things that were happening at the college, things that he was, uh, you know, protesting against. Why would we invite pro-abortion speakers? Why would we have certain clubs on campus? Why are we doing certain things that oppose the Catholic Church teaching? Yeah, if we say we're a Catholic college, right? (laughs) Yes. Let's live up to our name. Yeah, let's, you know, gosh. You know, you're saying it, every calling us beautiful because, you know, people don't think about the power of words. Mm-hmm. When you're driving down the street and you see a sign that says Catholic school, it should be Catholic. And uh, you, you, you find this existing nowhere else where, where people are um, saying that something is a particular brand. And it isn't. I mean, it would be akin to going to Starbucks and, and, you know, standing in line waiting for your coffee, and when you get up there, it's horrible. Or, you know, you go to McDonald's, and instead of getting a, a Big Mac, you get a tofu burger. I mean, it's just... Yeah, it it's a lie. Not. It's a lie. It's deceptive. Yeah. Deceptive advertising, right. they'd call it. <laughs> That's right. So the, the Cardinal Newman side exists for the very reason of giving families guidance to find truly authentic Catholic schools. Now, we have always done this at the college level because of uh, Patrick's experience. And so we've, we've been doing that. But this year we did something remarkable. We have extended our Newman Guide recognition into the K-12 through market. I like that idea. We had to hunt for a, a school. We had to drive first like 35 minutes a day each way to find a real Catholic school for our youngest two. So I, my, my heart is with you. I'm so glad you're doing oh. that. You know, you and I um, uh, share the same story. I think we've, we've joked about this. We might have passed each other on the highway, but <laughs> I did the same thing. I drove, I drove uh, my, my brand new, I had never even heard of what a Kia was and I bought a Kia Sorento and we put 245,000 miles on that Kia Sorento driving back and forth from what we had to find to be a faithful Catholic high school um, at the time and it was very difficult um, yeah. extremely difficult so by going into that K through 12 market there are 5900 schools from kindergarten to high school that are in the K through 12 market and now these schools are uh, lining up, thank God, to to say that they can become Newman Guide recommended. And so that's what the Cardinal Newman Society does. Okay. A family that is unsure of where to get an authentic Catholic education and, uh, and, uh, and don't want to be like others who are duped simply because the sign says so right. um, can now look at the Cardinal Newman Society. We go through a rigorous process of vetting schools. They have to have certain things, mission statements and curriculum and policies. Um, Mm. At the college level, they have to do things like have a profession of faith, and they have to have a a certain percentage of Catholics, which Mm. is exactly what the church has said. We're not making these rules up ourselves. Exactly. Um, The document... You know, the document from Pope John Paul II on Excordia Ecclesia said, listen, we need to have Catholics teaching, teaching and, and Catholic schools. 
Kevin, oh, can you hang on a minute? It's time for a break, but I want to ask you a couple more questions. So can you can you come on and stay on to the next segment a little bit? You bet. I would okay. love it. Okay, yeah, let's finish this conversation um, after the break about uh, an organization, the Cardinal Newman Society, that will vet Catholic schools for us as parents and grandparents and godparents and neighbors and people who are recommending schools. Because if you're paying for Catholic education, you need to get your money's worth. We'll be back with more of Mass Appeal right after this message. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio weekdays on Ave Maria Radio. Do you know what your diocese, what your church, what your parish is doing to help families in need? Women who feel they're in a desperate situation and for whatever reason, God forbid, may consider abortion. This is not difficult. The information is out there. We have to become more aware. And we have to be willing to not only know about what's available, but to do something about the issues. It's not just up to, quote-unquote, the church. We're all part of the church. And we're all called to put our faith into action. Or else we will be guilty of having a dead faith, as St. James reminds us. So first things, be aware, and then be willing to do something. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tanya, weekday mornings from 8 to 10 on Ave Maria Radio and AveMariaRadio.net. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. Parents often complain that their kids either don't do their chores or don't do a good job with them. How can parents teach kids to do chores well? The easiest way to teach kids healthy attitudes toward chores is to create family work rituals, where families do chores together. Daily family work rituals give parents and kids an opportunity to work side by side, learning good stewardship, responsibility, and teamwork. Family work rituals provide on-the-job training for chores, so that when kids eventually get their own chores, they know what's expected of them and how to do them well. That's one reason family rituals for working together are such an important part of Catholic family life. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me family. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. Welcome back to Mass Appeal, the Saturday morning show on Catholic Radio, where you can get some free and friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. We're pre-recording a show today, and right now we're chatting with Kevin Murphy, the Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the Cardinal Newman Society, and this is a great help to all grown-up Catholics and growing Catholics, because they will vet schools and kind of rate them on certain criterion as to whether or not they are Catholic, and also they're holding a scholarship contest. If you know any seniors that are looking for whatever scholarships are out there, I don't know if the scholarship is in their guidance counselor's office, 
but the Cardinal Newman Society is offering a $5,000 scholarship for any student who wishes to attend one of their Newman colleges, one of the, the rated colleges, um, and they, there are about 20 of them, I believe, and they just have a four to 600 word essay, and they can win not only a $5,000 scholarship, but some of the colleges are offering to match that the other years as well. And then we just learned that the Cardinal Newman Society is now moving from rating colleges to rating K through 12 schools. So are you still here, Kevin, with us? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, great. I wouldn't leave you. Okay, great. So um, so what are some of the criteria you would look for? You were, you started saying that they need Catholic, that to be a Catholic school, there need to be a certain percentage of Catholic teachers. And do they do anything about the, the environment or, like, the, um, the, the curriculum, like what they do in religion? Because I remember when I was trying to vet high schools for my child number four, I, I had three pages of questions, and they were shocked of my first four questions on the first page. I said, you think these questions are hard. I said, wait till I get to page three. They were like, nobody's ever <laughs> asked these before. And I was asking things like, how many of your religion teachers are passionately in love with Jesus Christ? I didn't think that was a hard question. Oh, wow. How many kids go to daily mass if you have daily mass offered? How Catholic are your kids when they graduate from high school with the formation you received? If they came in, how does their faith life grow from freshman year to senior year that you have evidence of growth in faith and you know things like that and I asked what religion curriculum they used and this freshman counselor didn't even know that so those are just some of my first page questions they didn't even get to page three when I said what do you do on prom night Uh, (laughs) when uh, Mm -hmm. people are renting out hotel rooms and and um, I did get an answer to that later like well the principal frowns on it but there's nothing he can do about it you know so I just told my son listen if you're going to get sex drugs and rock and roll anyway you might as well do it for free at the public school because with 4,000 right. kids you're going to find 10 nerds there you know so I had yeah. one of my one of my kids went to a public high school um, the others did go to Catholic schools that we we found to be helpful at the time but it's uh it's difficult to know when they say Catholic on the door in the title of the school right. you have to uh, unfortunately investigate how Catholic they are so so tell us some of the criterion upon which you vet these uh, K through 12 schools yeah, so one of them, as, a, as we, we kind of mentioned in passing, and sometimes let's, there's, two, there's different criteria for the K-12 market than there is for the college market. So, so let me start with college, okay. and then we'll work mm. our way back down to K-12. Right. So at the college level, there's, we actually started giving out these kind of stars where we say, hey, you're either getting a gold star or a silver star. And there's things like, okay, um, there's at least 24 credits of study in Catholic theology and philosophy at the college level. That your trustees are Catholic. Mm. That all Catholic faculty and the president make a profession of faith at least once upon hiring, and all the theology and the faculty have the mandatum. And that just means that they are teaching in accord with the church, and they have Mm. been given that by their bishop. Okay. So, um, and a lot of these have celebration masses where they do these sometimes on an annual basis, um, sometimes less frequently. But uh, honors and speakers, um, are you inviting speakers? This mm. is the very thing that that, that rubbed against um, Patrick Riley at Fordham was, are you? Do you have a policy that prohibits uh, honors being given and speaking invitations given to people who openly oppose Catholic moral teaching? Yeah. Um, 
What about student residences? You mentioned this in passing. Are, are they are they single sex or are they yeah. opposite sex? You yeah. know, when I drop my son off at the university that I went to, um, I realized that they had changed from when I went to college, and suddenly there were girls and boys on the same on in the same dorm, which had never been the the, the case before. Right? Is the faculty Catholic? Um, and, and, and again, what about the students when you go to these schools? You know, it's funny we have these so-called Catholic colleges out there um, that oftentimes don't have a lot of Catholics at them. You yeah, know, um, exactly. I remember going to work for an organization with the word Catholic in it, and um, one of the things, one of the things that a good friend of mine who was a priest said, "Well, I don't know how much Catholic is there." And I, I, it always kind of stuck with me, you know. I mean, those are the things. So that's kind of at the college level. One of the things that you mentioned quickly was curriculum. You know, for those people who aren't professional educators, curriculum sounds like this kind of mysterious box of things. You know, you don't even know what, what curriculum. Yeah, okay. Well, we went into this year, actually, and we asked people specifically what makes up their curriculum? And what we found is that there's a lot of people using various uh, influences in their curriculum. And that are more political than theological, maybe? In, in almost every aspect. It's always, you've got to be careful of the detail. So when you say curriculum, and then you, you say, okay, well, we have a, a curriculum, and it's a, let's say they say it's a diocesan curriculum. Well, what does that comprise of? Mm-hmm. Um, is this have uh, common core principles, for example, in it? And then mm-hmm. in those common core principles, are they also, do, you know, do they allow for the Catholic principles? I mean, you know, we, yeah. we hear a lot about different things today, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And, and we asked, we did this on a, uh, just recently, does DEI allow for G-O-D? <laughs> and you, you got to ask J-E. that when you look into it. <laughs> It doesn't, um, and, and so there's so much. Oh, it's not diversity of faith. It's diversity of right. whatever the politician said they should uh, do in that that's particular right. college. So that's a, a quite a, a good list of rating colleges. But then in grade school, there there would be a different. I would say a different criteria, a little more sensitive, because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're. It's a the kids are younger. There, you have to yes. look at the textbooks. So, what are you doing with the K through twelve to, to to rate those schools? And the the other question yes. I wanted to ask was, do does can a school? Because you said there's fifty nine hundred schools. Can a school volunteer to be rated by you, or do you are you going to wait till you guys go all after them? You know, and find. Oh them? no! So, so they got to ask. They got to be. They got to want to be Newman Guide recommended. So okay. Uh, so a school request. Is, okay. Yes, is go to cardinalnewmansociety.org, dot okay. and on our page there is the there is a um, the Newman Guide, and you just scroll down to Catholic schools and begin the process. There's a link there that says here begin the process. You go right in, okay. and then we connect you with our experts, Dr. Denise Donahue, Dr. Dan Guernsey, Patrick Riley, and they look at all of the things. So again, we start with something like a curriculum. What about policies? Um, what are some of the policies you have for handling certain issues? Yes, um, which is, was not, a big problem this summer of where they're trying to figure out yes. what does the Catholic school do about transgender. And some dioceses came That's up with right. really good ones, and some dioceses came up with just a bunch of words. That's exactly right. You're, you're exactly right. You're, you are a seasoned buyer. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> because uh, most of the people, I mean, you went in with three, 
three uh, pages of questions. You know, <laughs> I I went in very skeptical after a few visits um, at my K through 12 class, and I'll tell you the experience I had was a young man gave me a tour, and the very first thing he did was go to outside the chapel, and he said, "Our mat, our uh, our we have a mass daily here, and the Eucharist." In the tabernacle is the centerpiece of our school. Mm. The entire school is built around that. You know what I did? I tore up my questions. Oh, and I went back to oh, yeah. And I said, "Well, let sign me up." And he goes, he looked at me like, "Well, let's keep let's keep going on the tour." And I said, "There's there's no need because right now you've already outperformed every school I've been." Wow. Okay. Great. So car- go to cardinalnewmansociety.org. If you know a senior, have them apply for the scholarship. If your your Catholic grade school wants to be rated according to its policies, curriculum, to see if it's authentically Catholic, go to cardinalnewmansociety.org. If you're looking for a college for someone, look at their Cardinal Newman guide. And thank you so much, Kevin, for being with us to give us all that wonderful information. In a Facebook world, we can multiply virtual friends, and yet psychologists and sociologists tell us we have fewer and fewer actual friends. This is not good. We're made for friendship. Friendship with God, first of all, but secondarily, friendship with other human beings. Jesus calls his apostles friends. And when he faces his greatest suffering, he asks his inner circle of friends to come and pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. They come, but they fall asleep. Jesus isn't crushed when his friends fail to live up to his expectations. He doesn't withhold his love from them. He doesn't cast them away. Nor does he suffer their neglect silently. He confronts them. Couldn't you have prayed with me for an hour? Then he moves on to do the will of his Father in heaven. When friends let us down, as they will, we should follow the example of Jesus, lovingly confront them, but remember that they can never substitute for God, who stands ready as our ultimate friend. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays from 4 to 6 on Ave Maria Radio and the Ave Maria Radio app. Why is adoration the first act of the virtue of religion? Because, says the Catholic Catechism, it acknowledges God as the creator and savior, the master of everything that exists. When we adore God, we in all humility admit our nothingness as the creature who would not even exist were it not for God. To adore God is to praise and exalt him and to humble ourselves as Mary did in her prayer, the Magnificat, confessing with gratitude that God has done great things and holy is his name. Prayer is, says the Catechism in paragraph 2098, an indispensable condition for being able to obey God's commandments. Jesus told his disciples they should pray always and never lose heart. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. You're listening to Ave Maria Radio. Ave Maria Radio. Welcome to Mass Appeal. We have a pre-recorded show today with some free, friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. We just got advice on choosing schools that are authentically Catholic, and we'll go back to this stack of emails. I've got some pretty heavy questions here as well. This is Colleen Kelly Mast. I'm a life coach, author, a speaker, and I'm here to help you every Saturday morning during this time, offering free, friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. You can learn more about my work at my website, 
respect4u.com. Respect the number four, the numeral four, and then just the letter u.com. And you can contact me through there as well. So let's get to this stack of emails here. Um, one person wrote, and this might be more common than in, in this audience particularly, she said, my granddaughter asked me why I bother praying at the abortion clinic each week when I know that girls will keep having abortions anyway and it's legal. Wow, that would make your heart sink. But your granddaughter is probably curious about that, Joan. And so you can can respond and educate her at the same time. Don't think that she's, um, you know, arguing with you. She's just really curious. So don't think she's pro-abortion or thinks you're wasting your time. She's just really curious. So treat it as that. And so what you can say is, you know, why do I pray at the abortion clinic each week or you could say it's a spiritual battle and between good and evil because I say that I believe that murdering tiny babies is evil and then ask her back like don't you don't you think it's wrong to murder babies in the mother's womb where they're supposed to be safe you know so state what you believe and then ask her a question to see if she joins you in that because when you hear it in reality what really happens during an abortion, it does reach your your common sense and your conscience. And so um, just say, because I know this is a big fight and this is a big battle, I know it's something I can do for God. And I will do whatever God needs me to do. It's my way of following God and standing up for those who are being persecuted, literally. You know, and then tell her, too, that abortion not only kills babies, but it harms the women. You know, and the pro-abortionists and the the pro what they call choice movement really lie about it, thinking that it's an equal choice. Just say it's it's not an equal choice between killing a baby and uh, the mother being free. You know, and you can even give her some facts. You know, so if she asks you that, you can come back later and say, you know, since then I'm I'm glad you asked that question. Since then I have a little more information for you. And you can tell her about some of the studies. I know in Father Spitzer's book, when he talks about the moral teachings of the Catholic Church and all the statistical studies that show that following the Catholic Church teachings will actually help your mental health, social health, probably your economic health as well. Uh, So there was a a comprehensive multinational, multi-year study from 1995 to 2009. And they studied 750,000 women for the British Journal of Psychiatry and Cambridge University. Um, this woman, Priscilla Coleman, she details the profound and long-lasting negative effects of abortion on the mental health of women. So when you tell your granddaughter, you're not just making this up, and it's not just a Catholic thing. It's actually to stop abortion helps women's mental health. And so she's hearing those lies from the culture, and she's just checking with you to see what she, what, 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 you think or what you know so overall in her study she discovered that 81 percent of women who had an abortion had a significantly higher risk of mental health problems than women who had not had abortions that's 81 percent of the women 
That's huge. So bring that to your granddaughter's attention. Just say, I'm praying at the abortion clinic to stop abortion, to help the women who are absolutely confused about what the side effects are going to be of this abortion, and to save babies' lives who are absolutely innocent. So in her study, she found that there's a 311% greater occurrence of suicides in women who had an abortion compared to those who did not have an abortion. Obviously, that's something that's hard to live with. There's a 150% greater occurrence of suicidal contemplation. There's a 110% greater occurrence of alcohol abuse in women who had an abortion compared to those who had not. And then you can bring her into that that uh, statistic and ask her, do you think this is serious enough worth trying to pray to stop abortion? There's also a 37% greater occurrence of depression in women who had an abortion than those who did not. A 34% higher occurrence of anxiety in women who had an abortion compared to those who had not. And Coleman's research showed conclusively that abortion has a severe, long-lasting negative effect on women's health, including PTSD and regret. And then turn around and ask your granddaughter. I presume she's probably in high school. And then ask her, do they tell you any of this information when they mention abortion in what they call your health class, which obviously is pretty unhealthy to promote murder, and it's mentally unhealthy to have an abortion. So... You know, tell her that the facts aren't getting out there. So despite all these and other confirming studies, the research arm of the largest abortion provider in the U.S., Planned Parenthood Guttmacher Institute, they maintain that lie that they say, oh, there's no substantial link between abortion and women's mental health. And that's just not true. So tell your granddaughter the truth. Tell her why you are praying at an abortion clinic and remind her that this bond between a mother and her preborn infant is very strong. It's a very hard decision for these women to make to think of killing her baby, but someone convinces her that it's okay to do because of a lie. So the bond is really strong. And then also tell her if, you know, like if you sense that she may have had an abortion or one of her friends has an abortion, um, let her be be aware that the Catholic Church offers a lot of post-abortive care through Project Rachel, sponsored by the USCCB. It is run by clinical professionals in every diocese. And Rachel's Vineyard is a series, a set of retreats that many dioceses offer as well. So the church wants to help women who have suffered all these consequences of abortion, offering retreats, counseling, support groups in several places around the country. But reminder that instead of just picking up the pieces, what you're doing is praying at the abortion clinic each week to protect women from a bad decision and protect the babies from being murdered. And so Again, ask, you know, respond in a way that she's just curious about it and not trying to attack. You're not trying to get in a debate with her about it, but you're trying to inform her. And then you can say, let's go to one of the pro-life sites and see what other information or statistics that we can find that would help you convince your friends to be pro-life. And then remind her that should someone, a friend, come to her at some time in high school or college and say they were interested in getting an abortion, 
that she would be the one that God has in his place there to talk her out of it. So you can take that question that she asked, even though it seemed like a challenge, and turn her into a pro-life person. So thank you for that question, Joan. That will help many people out there who do work in the pro-life movement whose grandchildren or children are going, why do you really do that if it's going to happen anyway? So good question. This is Colleen Kelly Mast on Mast Appeal. We've got a pre-recorded show here today with your email questions. That's a pretty heavy one. Oh, the next one's pretty heavy, too. Um, Answering your questions here, offering free, friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. We'll be back with our next question from a high school student who's wondering if she's in an abusive relationship with her boyfriend right after this message. Advent is upon us and you're invited for a night of faith and fellowship Tuesday, December 19th at 6.30 p.m. at St. John's Resort in Plymouth, Michigan. After the rosary, Reverend Rennie Coffin and his daughter Esther will perform their five-language repertoire that runs from Broadway to Motown to the Christmas season. No registration is required, and for more information, email jack.crasula, K-R-A-S-U-L-A, at trustinus.com. God bless. Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. When did St. Nicholas begin delivering gifts on Christmas Eve? Well, sadly, by the end of the 18th century and the first part of the 19th century, people more and more forgot why we celebrate Christmas. So one day some folks invited me to deliver gifts on Christmas Eve instead of St. Nicholas Eve in early December. You can imagine my joy, the birthday of Jesus, what an honor. But it was then that they took away my bishop's vestments and dressed me like an elf. Talk about an extreme makeover. That's why on Christmas Eve of 1822, Dr. Clement Moore wrote down what he saw. He said he saw a little old driver so lively and quick I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. Why, you ask, did he have doubts in his mind whether it was St. Nicholas or not? Well, he knew I was a bishop. He was shocked to see me dressed like an elf. But no matter how I'm dressed, my spirit is still the same. I'm filled with the joy that flows from the Christmas proclamation, Christ is born, glorify him. <laughs> Light of the East, weekends on Ave Maria Radio. I am Father Thomas Loya. This week on Ave Maria, so much decorating, so many lights to put up. It is the ancient iconography of the church, even one painted by our Blessed Mother herself, that will explain our need for imagery. Now on Ave Maria Radio's newest FM stations, 105.5 FM in Southfield and 107.9 FM in Ann Arbor. Welcome to Mass Appeal, the Saturday morning live show, oh, not live today, on Catholic Radio, where you can get some free and friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. This is a pre-recorded show. I'm out of town today, and we are answering your email questions. We've got a pretty heavy one coming up here. Dear Colleen, I'm 18 years old, a senior in high school, and my relationship with my boyfriend seems abusive. She says, maybe the word abusive would seem too harsh, because uh, my boyfriend probably isn't mean or hurtful all the time and sometimes he can be kind and fun to be around but sometimes I feel like I'm dating someone with a split personality because his moods change quickly and unexpectedly so she said for example 
we might be laughing together and having a good time, and then he suddenly starts to rage at me. So being with him is uh, makes me a little afraid. It's confusing and sometimes scary, but I still love him. On top of that, she says, parents and friends are worried about me. They notice that I'm not myself. They think I'm being distant. They're pressuring me to break up while my boyfriend is holding on tighter. It's hard to know what to do. Please help Kayla. All right, Kayla, this is a sad story, and it's not good. Um, unfortunately, you're not alone. The, of Even in high school students, of 100 high school girls, 33 are likely to be in a relationship like yours. Um, and yes, it is abusive. And here's why. Like, he might not be hitting you or something like that, but a relationship is abusive when one person acts in a way that is disrespectful, frightening, like manipulative, or they try to control you. You know, they try to control the other person. Even it can be sexually abusive if they're pressuring, pressuring you to go further than you know is right. And so... Quite often in relationships, it is the guy who's the one who's abusive. They're full of testosterone at this age, and many of them do not practice self-mastery as they should or have practiced self-control all the way along. But girls can be abusive to their boyfriends as well, and I've heard from many young men uh, that they have had an abusive girlfriend in, in several ways, whether it's verbally abusive or emotionally abusive or um, other ways, that they're physically abusive even. You know, so there's some steps you can take to stop it and how you can prevent abuse from happening to you again um, and I'm sure you have thought should I break up with them if other people are telling me so if other people are telling you that do consider that but in your relationship uh, be aware of any red flags or in future relationships look for red flags because it's not always physical as I said so if your boyfriend's calling you things like like stupid or fat or criticizing your clothes or criticizing your friends or maybe embarrassing you in front of other people and then laughing about it or twisting your words or maybe he's really possessive and, or controlling and like accusing you of like flirting with other guys and wanting you to drop your friends or hounding you with texts or you know or something violent like throwing things or you know threatening i'm going to kill myself if you break up with me like those are signs of verbal or emotional abuse so if any of those things are true you do want to get out of that relationship so physical abuse is when he actually hurts you like touches you in a way you don't like restrains you holds you back like throws something at you or pushes you into the wall and sexual abuse is when they don't respect your no uh, they don't respect your boundaries they ignore you when you tell them to stop you know you know even when things are heated he should be able to stop or um, should be able to cool off so in an abusive relationship, you, you are going to feel afraid. You know, you're going to feel disrespected. Um, you'll feel manipulated or controlled by the other person, and that's why your friends and parents and you know, are concerned about you. They see that you're not the person they know. You don't, you're not free and happy. So after, um, it, it says like sometimes he's nice. So, you know, after he's hurt you, emotionally or said mean things to you then he'll apologize and say oh it'll never happen again you know and so he'll for a while he'll be kind and attentive and then you get all relaxed and think oh he's changed you know but then 
after he has you all relaxed again, he's going to insult, threaten you, and be abusive and, and start that cycle again. So I would suggest that you get some help. You can't handle this situation by yourself. Talk to maybe a teacher, a guidance counselor, a pastor, a priest, if, if you trust your parents, some adult that you trust. And I bet your school counselor is familiar with this. You know, and speak to somebody who will advocate for you and understands abuse in dating. You know, you don't want to marry a person like that because then you're, you're, you fear for that, that cycle, especially if you've had children. It's hard to get out of that cycle. So look at these red flags. Get out of this relationship now while you're still safe and, uh, and, and find the help that you need. And even if it has to be, you know, 911 if you're afraid. Um, but your parents might be concerned, rightly so, if they see those changes in you. So I do want you to know, though, that, that you are lovable, and this isn't love. Some girls mistake this. They think, this is the attention that I get. He cares about me. Yeah, but, but God loves you more than that, and God has a different plan for your life. God has a plan that is beautiful, affirming, helpful, kind, and you need to find a man who practices virtues, that is kind and honest and helpful and he doesn't blame you or call you names, that you can pay attention to the, you know, people who are like you. And I, I would suggest, whether you want to go to a counselor or not, that you break up and heal from this relationship and have different expectations in your next relationship. Because in high school, maybe there are no positive role models for a loving relationship. Maybe it's better not to date. You know, high school students have a vague idea of what a relationship is. You know, So maybe nobody can show you a relationship that is good. Um, but you might relate to others with friendship you know, and relate to them kindly. So maybe your next relationship would be a friendship. Don't get involved in the romantic part of it. And then keep your eyes and ears open, you know, to see how good couples treat each other. You know, think of what the kind of person you want to be, the kind of person you want to be with, and just break ties with this one. You do have to realize... No matter how much God loves you and wants a better plan for you, no relationship is going to be absolutely perfect. You know, there's, there are good things to look for, though. There are healthy, loving relationships with mutual respect, support, honesty. You can make decisions together. Even if you argue, you can be, be respectful of each other and talk about the issue so you both feel heard. Uh, but it just sounds to me like this, with your parents' concern and your friends' concern, that this is an abusive relationship and it's something you've should probably get out of right now because it's more than you can handle and it can draw you in emotionally and I hope completely that you have not bonded with this person sexually as well because that sexual bonding uh, fornication can fool you into marrying the wrong person because it leads you to believe your relationship is deeper than it actually is with that hormonal bonding of oxytocin and vasopressin and you feel very close to that person but in reality they're not the person you want to spend your life with so be brave be strong be smart trust in god uh, get some help 
If you need help to get out of this relationship, you can call back on how to break up. I think I have a lesson on that in my Sex Respect book on how to break up. I used to run that lesson with my high school students. And get get the help and the confidence you need from either a school counselor or your parents or a good grown-up friend to help you um, get out of this relationship. And, and thanks for that awareness, and thanks for writing that note. It will help others be aware when to get out of a high school or even college romance that seems to be abusive, it probably is. Get out now and let God love you and heal you. This is Colleen Kelly Mast on Mast Appeal. Time for our break. We'll be back with more of Mast Appeal right after this message. Teaches that Jesus Christ is literally and wholly present, body and blood, soul and divinity, under the appearances of bread and wine. In the Bread of Life Discourse, documented in John chapter 6, Jesus states that He is the bread of life, and that His flesh is true food and His blood true drink. The Jews were scandalized in verse 52. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus is not back down, but reiterates this teaching four more times over the next four verses. Many left in verse 66 because this teaching was truly difficult. But at no point does Jesus water down his teaching and call them back. No, he allows them to leave, and even questions his twelve apostles if they too wish to leave. Jesus intended to be understood literally, and the Jews, apostles, and the Catholic Church absolutely take him at his word. Examining the truth of the Catholic faith, this is faithforensics.org. This week on Christ is the Answer, Father John talks about our inviolable dignity. Created in the image of God, each and every human person has an inviolable dignity. But what exactly does this mean? And what does it entail? And what do we receive because of it? Join us this week as Father John shows us how to see others through the lens of Jesus, as well as talking about the four goods of marriage. Tune in for Christ is the Answer, Monday through Fridays at 11 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Welcome to our last segment already of Mass Appeal, our Saturday morning show on Catholic Radio, where you can get some free and friendly advice from our Catholic perspective here during Advent as we prepare our hearts and minds, souls and bodies for the celebration of the Savior coming into the world. We waited and waited 
throughout the Old Testament, the Jewish people, the chosen people, waited and waited for the Savior. And he's here. He is here with us. And we can make his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. So we want to celebrate Christmas as well as we can by doing good each day. All right, here's my next email question. Dear Colleen, please help me if you can. I've been married 11 years. We have three kids so far, and it seems like we are just going through the motions, but not really happy. I don't know why I'm not happy, but I'm not really happy. Can you help me? I don't know what the rest of the next page it says. Can you help me? We'll stop there. So let's look at reasons why you might not be happy. Um, and some of them might not be reasons to leave, of course. But how do we bring some joy back into this marriage, this relationship, this family life? And, of course, Catholics are an incarnate people. We're supposed to celebrate things and bring joy. So just think about how to bring some joy. Maybe the temperaments of your three kids, your husband and yourself, are such that they don't bring that much joy, but you can practice bringing joy into the family. For example, when times after um, my daughter left and got married, she was our sanguine that was always bringing joy to the family, and I was left with... uh, Oh, let's see, a melancholic and a phlegmatic, and then um, sometimes the uh, a uh, another sanguine was there. And so what I decided to do is that everybody had to bring a joke to the dinner table, you know, just to cheer each other up. So that's that's one thing. That's one thing that I've done. And then we look at uh, Father Robert Spitzer's four levels of happiness. You know, and those are we've talked about them on this show before. You can find them at his website, healingtheculture.org, and he has free downloads of it when you look under his free resources. But those four levels of happiness are feeling good is the first one. Feeling good about yourself is the second one. The third one is doing good, giving of yourself, and that brings happiness to you. And fourth is union with God, who is all good. You know, whether it's through prayer or suffering or obedience or confession or going to Holy Communion, is union with God when we know that we are doing His will. So maybe when you say that you are not really happy, maybe it's the feeling, the level one of happiness that you're not experiencing. Maybe it doesn't feel good every day. If you've got three little kids and, uh, you know, like one's nursing or uh, another one's nagging and another one can't take care of themselves and they wet their pants, you might not feel good every day, but it doesn't mean you're not happy. But So it's a good time to contemplate the gifts from God and contemplate gratitude, as we talked about before Thanksgiving, and thank God for the good that you have. Thank you, God, for these children. Thank you, God, for this husband. Thank you, God, for this life. I always dreamed of being a mother, and here I am. I remember trying to think of that when I had a child who got up. He would nurse for an hour every hour and a half. So every 90 minutes, I was awake again during the night or during the day. And I remember thinking, and this must have been the Holy Spirit reminding me, that when I was growing up, all I wanted to do was to have someone who would love me and love me and never stop loving me. Well, I had this baby that loved me so much he couldn't live through 90 minutes without me. And so think of what is good and be grateful. But sometimes um, unhappiness occurs if your expectations about your marriage and family don't meet your reality. And happiness occurs when the expectations meet your reality. So maybe your reality is it's going to be messy. It might be a little bit chaotic with three little kids. 
Um, and so just have a reality check and look at the situation. My kids are dependent on me, or my husband is working a lot, or maybe he's not working and you're struggling financially. It didn't give me any more details of your question. But remember that life is full of mountains and valleys, and as Jesus showed us, it's not all fun and games like that parade on Palm Sunday and miracles in the fields. You know, there's work, there's rest, there's suffering, there's celebration, and sometimes we have to die to rise. You know, in other areas you can look at, if you're not feeling happy, have you been to confession lately? Are you eating healthy food? Do you have a strong support group around yourself? In my life coaching clients, when we look at the whole person and what needs some help or some goal setting, we look at you know intellectually, socially, emotionally, physically, all the different parts of yourself. Because if God wants you to love him with our whole self, we need to take care of our whole self. So look at some of those other areas, you know, in terms of uh, friendships or communication with your cousins, improve your communication with your husband. You know, look at your diet. You know, is that really creating sadness if you're eating a lot of junk food? So look at that whole person and connect yourself to God in meditation. Let him show you his will. So thanks for that question. It's an important one. This is Colleen Kelly Mast reminding you to love Christ and be Christ for others. Mast Appeal is produced by Ave Maria Radio and broadcast through the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Copies can be purchased or free downloads can be found at the Ave Maria website, AveMariaRadio.net. If you have a comment or question for Colleen, write to Colleen at AveMariaRadio.net or Mast Appeal at AveMariaRadio.net. And listen for Mass Appeal Saturday mornings from 9 to 11 Eastern Time for free, friendly advice from a Catholic perspective. Vanessa Dunhagarmo here, inviting you to tune into Epiphany. We're made to praise God and celebrate our faith. I want to encourage listeners to connect, communicate, and collaborate with the faith community. Life is a journey, and along the way we have those Epiphany moments that bring us closer to Christ. Please partner with me and celebrate the diversity of our Catholic Church. Epiphany, weekdays at noon, only on Ave Maria Radio. Weekdays at 10 a.m., there's more to life. Don't bring me down. Negativity can really wear us out. Are negative people 